welcome to ASME TechCast, where we bring you the innovations, the innovators, and the discussions on the topics that advance our world through engineering and technology. I'm Chitra Sethi, editor at Mechanical Engineering Magazine and ASME.org. Today, I'm incredibly honored to be joined by a special guest. She is Chief Executive Officer at Girl Scouts of the USA, Sylvia Acevedo. Sylvia is an engineer, rocket scientist, author, entrepreneur, and more. In addition to serving as CEO of the Girl Scouts of the USA, she is also a commissioner on the White House Initiative for Educational Excellence for Hispanics. In 2018, she was featured among America's top 50 women in tech by Forbes. Welcome to our podcast, Sylvia, and thank you for joining us. Oh, my goodness, Chitra, what an honor it is to be here with you. Great. So let's start from the beginning. You were one of the first in your family to go to college and study engineering. How was childhood like for you? And when did you know that you wanted to be an engineer? That's a really important question because you're right. It really wasn't common for girls like me, especially girls of my background in southern New Mexico, to go to college and then become an engineer as well. But the thing that finally helped me understand how I became an engineer was actually about 12 years ago when I got a call from Stanford University, and they were doing some research to find out who were the first Hispanic male or females that have ever gotten their graduate engineering degree. And that's why they called me. And they kept asking me all these questions, and I really didn't know why it was. But the more they asked questions, I realized that my love of science and math became kind of a passion of mine through Girl Scouts, first by looking at the stars and then making a space rocket and realizing I could do it, even after I failed a few times at design thinking, problem-solving skills that I learned, and that gave me the confidence. And with that, then I started at, you know, in elementary school thinking, I can do science, I can do math. Then I began applying myself in those subjects. And like anything that you apply yourself in, you get better at it. And the better I got at it, the more I did it. And I got so good at it, I became a rocket scientist. And I think that was just such a very formative experience for me that I could do something like math and science. And the more I did it, the better I got. So as I studied it in elementary school, middle school, and then high school, I kept taking harder and harder electives. And then realizing that I liked it so much, I could make a profession out of it. And that's when I looked at a college catalog and saw that engineering and that systems thinking, that blend of putting people, processes, and systems together, that really spoke to me. And that's how I decided to become an engineer. So when you made that decision to pursue a STEM career, did you have support from your family and (coughs) teachers at that time? Actually, uh, very little. There was some, but uh, my college counselor, when I told her, she laughed and said girls weren't engineers. And so I went on and became an engineer and a rocket scientist. But, you know, I was really disappointed. My father, he really did favor my brother. And, you know, my father signed all of our report cards. And so he knew I was getting straight A's in science and math. And when I told him I wanted to be an engineer, he looked at me and he said, but you have to be good at math. And I remember thinking, well, you've been signing my report cards. I'm always getting straight A's in math. So I think it was a bit of a hurdle for him to get over. He did get over it and became supportive of me. But I think the initial 
thought wasn't that I could be an engineer. So I'm very grateful for that. And then frankly, at that time, there really weren't very many women that were going into engineering. And so my teachers, they thought it was good, but they really couldn't point me in any specific direction other than do well. You know, it was a little bit of the trailblazer pioneering effort back then. From studying uh, systems engineering at Stanford after that to joining NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory as a rocket scientist. Did you find the environment at both places encouraging for a Latino woman engineer? I believe there weren't many at that time, like you said, and you were one of the first, right? When I think back, I was working at different places, including Sandia Labs. I did work-study internships through my undergraduate. And one of the first opportunities I had was in testing engineering. And when I showed up, there were no bathrooms for me at all. And in fact, they didn't have any bathrooms anywhere. And it was sort of like that movie, Hidden Figures. You know, you had to go run, find a bathroom and run to it. And so I discovered where the closest ones were, identified that engineering problem solving, right? And then I brought my bike to work and I didn't drink much fluids. I would very carefully plan my breaks so I could ride my bike to the nearest bathroom. After six weeks, they finally decided I wasn't going to quit. And they brought me my own porta potty, a brand new white porta potty. And it said hers on it. When you think about it, some of the basic things like that, not even having bathrooms are you're not welcome here, or we haven't thought about you. So those kinds of things could dissuade many people. Luckily for me, I had that drive to be an engineer and to be persistent and be resilient. Some of those very important skills I learned as a young Girl Scout. And when I was at Stanford, it was still very unusual. I'm racking my brain just trying to remember any Hispanic students in my classes. And so that really was challenging. It's very demanding, especially at the graduate school level. You're competing with the top talent in the world. You've really got to bring your A game and feeling a little bit isolated. I know that's one of the reasons Stanford is constantly doing work to make sure that students don't feel as isolated. But when you're one of the trailblazers or one of the pioneers, it can feel like that. Uh, So back in 2009, Austin's governor, Ann Richards, nominated you for the National Board of Girl Scouts of the USA, where you served for eight years before you were appointed the CEO in 2017. From the role of an engineer to a CEO, how was the transition from the engineering to the business side of things? So first of all, I had already made a transfer from engineering and I had done some sales and marketing and become a P&L executive and also been an entrepreneur. I started a technology company with three other engineers that we successfully exited. But you bring up a really important question and problem solving skills, data analytics, understanding numbers, trends, and an organization like the Girl Scouts, one of the big skills I bring with my engineering background is scale. And what I've learned in a nonprofit, a lot of people are drawn to nonprofits because of the mission work and the one-on-one work. But scaling that so it's efficient and operational at scale is a really challenging exercise for them. Because if you're skilled at the one-on-one or one-on-few, it's really hard to make that leap. So now how do we take that quality experience and make it available for 10,000, for 100,000, for a million girls? At Girl Scouts, one of the first things I did was with our number one entrepreneurial program, which is the cookie program, is really looking at all aspects of that business from a systems perspective, operational, logistics, you know, contracts, everything and really beginning to modernize it. When we set out, people thought they were daunted by the challenge. They said, what you're trying to do, I applaud you. It's necessary. You're not going to get done. You know, I give you zero chance of success, but way to go. We actually completed that first step of modernization 
in less than three years. I think that's because I have a great appreciation for scale and the reach. And then along with that, I think another thing that my engineering background brought into me was thinking about that entrepreneurial program, that cookie program that reaches into every community in America, rural, urban, or suburban, but using that same network to then provide our STEM programming. And I'm so proud of that because now our STEM programming is doing incredibly well, but because we were able to dovetail on that cookie entrepreneurial program, we've been able to reach all over America. As a result, we're the largest, the nation's largest STEM programming for girls with amazing outcomes that reaches rural, urban, and suburban communities. And that's that engineering brain or that engineering mind. So if any of your listeners are thinking, you know, you want to do mission work and you think, oh, but, but it's really hard to do that one-on-one, you'd be surprised how much in our world today, as it, it is being rewritten line by line, code by code, that that engineering design thinking problem solving mindset is very much needed in all areas, whether it's a for-profit or a nonprofit. STEM is becoming part of everyday living. You recently led the organization's largest rollout of new Girl Scout badges. Uh, I think there were 125 more badges and award programs now totaling 304. These include 42 new STEM badges, including you know, uh, cybersecurity, robotics, design thinking, coding, data analytics, and even space science. What was the motivation behind these badges? One of the first things is we do a lot of focus group research and we do it in all parts of the countries, rural, urban, suburban, different ethnographics. We do so much data analytics. And I would say that's the other thing I've really introduced as an engineer, a lot more data analytics in terms of how we do our business and make business decisions. Looking at that, as we did our focus groups, you know, girls, we saw that many of them are using mobile devices. And they didn't want to just be the users of them. They wanted to be the inventors, the creators, or the designers. And so much of STEM programming has been designed around how boys learn and around things that boys are interested in. And so when you're trying to get a girl interested in a non-traditional topic like STEM, you first have to get her interested. So when you're introducing a STEM class or curriculum and the lesson material is built around something a boy already feels very comfortable with, he is already interested. And so then the next thing is his confidence and his competence. Well, for a girl, she's not as familiar with that material. And so she starts at a, am I interested? Do I like this? And if she sees her male peers immediately start solving problems and using the material merely because that's something they've been very familiar with, whether it's Lego blocks or some other type of equipment. So she'll say, wow, they've already do it. I guess boys are better at STEM than girls are. And the teacher will say, yeah, I did this activity with gender neutral item like a Lego and the boys did it immediately and the girls didn't. Well, you know what? Boys have been getting Legos since they were three years old and many girls, that's really not what they're getting when they're three, four, five, six years old. So there you are in class. It's the first time you're playing with Legos. For the boys, this is something they've been doing for years. And so of course there's this natural talent towards it. The teacher sees that and says, oh, look at that. I chose a gender neutral material. Boys are good at STEM. Girls are not. 
And the girl looks at it and says, well, I'm trying, but boy, the boys solved it so much quicker, not realizing that they were already familiar with it. So at Girl Scouts, what we've done is we've looked at all of our curriculum and start from the point of view is how do we make this interesting for girls? And from there, we build on from how do you make them interested? And once they're interested, then you build on their confidence. And once you build on their confidence, then you build on your competence. And that approach has really worked. You, we're having tremendous success with our badges. Over a million STEM badges earned last year in 2019. And this year, it's been 18 months since we've announced our cybersecurity badges. And we're over 170,000 badges earned. This is just remarkable. And even with people sheltering at home, the interest in cybersecurity is incredibly high. Girls are earning cyber badges at about 8,000 per month, even with all the restrictions of sheltering in place. So that focus on getting girls the skills and tools around things that are interesting and important to them. So this is certainly a noteworthy effort. What else is Girl Scouts of the USA doing to encourage more girls in STEM? Are you partnering with industry to drive these efforts forward? Yes, we're really excited about our partnerships with so many organizations, Johnson Johnson, Palo Alto Networks, Raytheon. We've done some partnering with AT&T. We're very excited about this work because the world is being recreated line by line, code by code and females are 50% of the population. So how do you make sure that they have the tools, the skills, the aptitude, and the confidence to be able to shape that world that is being shaped line by line, code by code? And so we want to make sure that we've got girls that have those types of skills. And then we also are preparing them to not just think of it, and about space science, yeah, you can tell because I was a rocket scientist. I'm really appreciative of our partnership with SETI and NASA that's allowed us to develop those badges. And I think one of my favorite badges, to be honest, is Brownie Badge because it's really an homage to my experience where in Girl Scouts, my troop leader helped me identify that those twinkly lights up in the sky were actually stars and planets and they were constellations. So part of earning that badge, you have to start naming planets, stars, and constellations. But also our older girl badge for the space science also is important to me because we realize for an older girl, it's important for her to see mentors. And so part of earning those badges is questions about the universe and the complexity of the universe. So we want girls to think big and to wonder, but we also want them to identify other female trailblazers in space science that have gone ahead of them so that they realize it's okay to think and wonder and try to solve these big problems. And look, there's other women who have done it as well. So, you know, it's so important when we're thinking about our badges to make them very relevant. Another area is transportation, rethinking how do we move from point A to point B. And I'm really excited about all the different ways that we're really thinking about mechanical engineering, robotics. Oh gosh, I love the robotics badges that we have from daisies all the way to older high school girls. So, you know, really giving girls the confidence of they can program sensors. In an all-girl environment, what makes Girl Scouting different Sometimes girls are on robotics teams, but they're typically the reporter or the scribe or the marketer. They're not the one designing it. They're not the one programming the sensor. And what I love at Girl Scouts in the all-girl environment, they have to do all of it. They have to do the designing, the assembly, the programming. They're involved in all aspects of it. Women drop off at every stage throughout the STEM journey, whether in elementary school, high school, university, or even in the workplace. I know there has been an increasing effort across the U.S. to boost the number of female students to pursue STEM careers. What more can be done to change that? 
if I could give you one answer, that would be fantastic, but it's complex. But I will say that making it more family friendly is very important because one of the responsibilities of working with your children, and I think a lot of people are finding that with the shelter at home, it is really challenging to manage all of that. And I know a lot of women are really much more, they respect teachers quite a bit more since they've had to be the teacher at home. So I think really thinking about that extra workload that you have, but then within a work environment, making sure you are giving women challenging assignments, but you're also giving them the support with it, not asking them to take on a task that you know is so formidable, no one can do it, but rather surrounding them and helping them be successful. I know that in different times in my career, I had mentors and male mentors who really helped me overcome some learning opportunities in a corporate setting. And that is very important to have that is very important. And also to make sure that I like to say manage the behavior and that informs the culture. And so when there is behavior that is not respectful or is, you know, sexist, that needs to stop and not be permitted as well. But also for women to have organizations that support their professional development and to really help groom them to take on more challenging assignments. One of the things that I know was really helpful for me was that as I was making the shift from engineering to taking on PL, I really wanted to be one of those executives with PL experience. And I realized I had to get into sales, I had to do some marketing, I needed to do product marketing. And so I set about systematically going after getting those skill sets so that I could round myself out. And then also taking finance courses on the side. So realizing that there does require some professional development as well and letting people know that's what you want. I will say there have been several times in my career that I have had to be incredibly persistent. I credit Girl Scout Cookie Program for teaching me the value of not taking no until you've heard it at least three times. Because several times in my career, I had wanted opportunities and I was told no. And I kept coming back, you know, why not? And then solving for the why not and eventually getting the opportunity. Sometimes women, when you hear the no, you think, well, that means never. But you've got to continue to be persistent, resilient, and bring in resources to help you as well. Let's talk about your recent favorite project, your memoir, Path (laughs) to the Stars, My Journey from Girl Scout to Rocket Scientist, which is written in English and Spanish at a middle school reading level. Your book encourages girls to take science and math classes. What was the inspiration behind it? There were two inspirations. One of them was I gave a speech at a high school in California. And after the speech, it was around noon. And I saw that there was a really long line. And I said to the organizer, oh, I guess that's the line for lunch. And she said, no, that's the line for people that want to speak to you. And I thought to myself, wow, okay, I'm going to be here a while. But I also realized as an engineer, it didn't scale. So I realized okay, they liked my speech. So now what do I take of that speech and turn it into a medium, for example, a book, so that they could read and continue to be inspired by them. The other aspect of my book is when you think about an elevator and you're trying to stop an elevator, sometimes you just stick your hand in that elevator door. And I think about my book that way as well. And that's why I chose the middle school age. Because when you're in middle school, that's kind of the last point that you can really get someone interested in math and science. Ninth grade algebra is so very important. And if they don't have that, their life trajectory will be really different because just having a modicum of math lets you then get into coding, into science, into so many other things that open up a world of opportunity in this data-centric or information age. 
So I really wanted to inspire boys and girls at that age, you know, it's that hand in the elevator stopping it. You know, it's that book right there saying, here, read it. You can do it. You too can have it. I mean, my personal story is my family, we live paycheck to paycheck. And sometimes we didn't even have a paycheck. So we had to live with other family members. I mean, lived on a dirt street. That was my story. But fortunately for me, I had a lot of opportunities through Head Start, through Girl Scouts, teachers, and I was able to have these experiences that allowed me to develop my potential. And I wanted to give girls and boys hope that that could be their possibility as well. One final question, Sylvia. If you had one advice for young engineers, especially women, aspiring to pursue a career in STEM, what will that be? Being clear on what you want and then convincing yourself that you can do it. Because once you've convinced yourself that you can do it, you can't be stopped. And I say that because one of the things in my career that I really wanted was to have international experience. And so I had this opportunity that I had to work very hard at. It was one of those, again, six months breaking down every objection before they finally let me have this opportunity to manage and direct Latin American sales for a technology company. And I remember sitting in a hotel. It was the Hotel Tamanaco in Caracas, Venezuela. And I realized I was going to have to go do this big product introduction about our new networking products in Spanish to a hundred of our resellers and dealers all throughout Latin America. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, you know, it's sort of like I'm there. I, this is what I had been envisioning and now I'm there. And then a bit of trepidation because I was going to have to also do it at all in Spanish. But you know, it's one of those things that I just set my mind to that, that I would do that. And so I really do say to people, what is your goal? And convince yourself, because if you've convinced yourself that you can do it, you can make it happen. And you don't have to do it alone. Believe me, you know, I have had so much help and support along the way. But I think it's because people see the clarity of what my goal was. And along the way, my goals have changed and amplified. So I would say to your listeners, be really clear what it is you want and then figure it out what is it going to take to get you there because you've made that decision that you're going to achieve it. Well, we'll leave it at that, Sylvia. Thank you very much for speaking with me today. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And you know, what you're doing is really important work. Thanks, Sylvia. Thank you all for tuning in. You've been listening to ASME TechCast. If you like this episode, download ASME TechCast from your favorite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Chitra Sethi.